Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Monday, February the 13th, 2023. It is currently 2.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I have a Bible in front of me, and I, I'm, well, if I'm going to be accurate, full transparency, it's currently not open. I was going to say, I have my Bible and it's open to the Gospel of John, but that would be an absolute lie. So I have a Bible. I just opened it to John chapter one, the Gospel of, according to John, the Gospel of John chapter one. I'm opening my Bible right there, and I would like to invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 1, because here's what we're going to do. I know this is very random, and I know there really isn't any actual context to this, but earlier this year, I decided to start listening to sermons from a church. I won't name where, won't name the state, won't name the, the name of the church. I started listening to a series that they had begun, because they were going. they're going to spend like a year and a half, almost two years going through the Gospel of John. And I thought, well, this should be interesting, right? I know I don't agree with the theology of this church. I know that I would disagree with them in pretty much everything. But if they're going to spend almost two years going through the Gospel of John, I mean, it can't hurt me to listen and to just go through sermon after sermon on the Gospel of John to be you know, to be reminded of what's there, to be challenged maybe on different interpretations, to maybe see things from a different perspective. Maybe it will make me force me to reconsider my own positions. It may strengthen what I believe. It may change what I believe, but it should be interesting. It should be fun. I was prepared for some really bad interpretations, some really bad theology. I'm going to be honest, right? Because I thought this is going to be bad, but I thought it would be fun, right? The gospel of John, how can I say this? How can I say this? And I and, and I know this is going to sound like hyperbole. You think I'm going to be exaggerating, but I have to say this as, as honestly as I can. This has been absolutely the worst, the absolute worst teaching I have ever heard in my entire life on the Gospel of John. Oh, the, the people speaking, you may think that they have great communication skills. You may think that they're amazing. You may think it's the greatest thing on, on earth. But I think if you would take a step back and whatever attracts you to it, if you would just be honest with it, here's the one thing I know they're not doing. They're not actually studying the Gospel of John. It is maddening. It's supposed to be like, we're going to go through every part of the Gospel of John. And then they're like, we're going to cover... All of these verses, like this entire section in one 35-minute sermon, they rarely, they barely even deal with the text. They may offer a little bit of historical background, say, say a couple of things that sounds like, okay, and then it's like, wait a minute. So here, here's the only thing, and, and one of the reasons I want, what I'm getting ready to do, I'll explain in a minute, but what... I, I've now lost complete interest in the sermon series as far as the Gospel of John is concerned because it's obviously they're not teaching it. They're not teaching. I don't know what they're doing. But he, I guess this is what has caught my attention. It feels to me that the Gospel of John 
is almost like a disguise. It's like, hey, hey, look, everyone, we're studying the gospel of John, right? But reality, like, so I'm holding up my Bible, like I'm holding up my Bible to the microphone, like, here's my Bible. Hey, guys, we're teaching the gospel of John. It's the gospel of John. But right here behind the Bible is their real agenda. What they're really, they're just using the gospel of John as a disguise to get to what they really want to teach. They're not really teaching the gospel of John. It's something other than, and clearly right now, they're really, they seem to be into this identity, 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 identity concept. I, I don't know, to be honest, I, don't, I think, I don't know if that's going to be the main emphasis. I don't really know where they're going. It's so just bizarre. One of the things that, that's bizarre is that there's one of those churches that do this, and I don't know how people, I, this this is a personal preference thing. So this is what I'm getting ready to offer here. I'm not offering as criticism in an objective way. I'm offering a very subjective opinion, all right? And some of you, when you hear this, you're going to be like, well, that's my church. How dare you criticize it? But I have a hard problem. I have a hard time with this. There are churches where they do this. We're going to go through this book, whether it's 1 Corinthians, whether it's Romans, whether it's John, and this is how it works. One week, someone teaches. The next week, and they'll teach, say, John chapter 1, they'll go through verses 1 through 14 and one sermon. First of all, I don't even know how that's humanly possible, but they do. And then the next week, someone else will come along and go through, say, 15 through 18. And then the next week, someone else will come along, and it's like they switch preachers. They switch teachers. And like each one, so they're going to go through a book, but each teacher gets a different section of the book. And that is uh, it drives me. I don't know how people can go to a church like that. It would drive me crazy because I because it feels like there's no continuity. It feels like you're just getting these. They're, they're saying they're going through the book, but it's just like, no, what you're giving me is disjointed topical sermons disguised as an ex exegetical study because it's all these different people. Like, okay, well, last week, John covered the, well, the, well but John's way of thinking may be different. Like, I, I don't know. It feels like it loses flow. It loses continuity. I know a lot of churches do this, and I, I don't get it. I would be like, no, I'm going to teach the whole book, all right? Just step back, okay? Like, I, I could not do that. I could not do that. Like, and I know some pastors like, well, you know, I, I, I need a break. I can't come up with, and I, I don't get that. I don't understand. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get that at all. Like, I don't, I don't want a break. I don't need a break. I just... Actually, give me more serve, give me more people, and more church services. That's what I want. And if I get multiple, and if I have to do multiple services, like an eight o'clock hour, ten o'clock hour, and twelve o'clock hour, like if I have to do that, all three sermons are going to be different. I'm not going to preach the same sermon for all three. Like that, I, that I don't know how pastors pull that off. How do you preach the same sermon three times? That's that would that would I would I would. I would have to quit. I would, I would, that would, I would lose my mind. But I don't get those churches that do that. Like, I, I can't prepare two sermons in a row, or no, I got to give the other people a chance. It just seems so weird. But this church that I'm listening to, that's what they've been doing. You got like the main person, and then I guess his assistant or his associate. I don't know what his exact title is. And now today, it looks like they're bringing in someone else. Because it's a multi-campus church, so I guess they're bringing in from someone from another campus to just kind of jump in in the middle of this series, and it's so, I, 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 I don't know. You can tell me what you think about churches doing that, 
Maybe the average person like, I don't care. I don't care who's preaching. I don't care who cares, whatever, whoever it is. Just get me out on time. I don't care. But for me, I would be like, when one preacher is taking you through, then you get his struggles, his, I don't know. It just, I don't know. It just seems like that makes more sense. It, it just seems odd to me. It seems odd to me. It's like, okay, we got the teacher and now we have the substitute. And we all know what we do when the substitute is there, right? Nobody pays attention. Okay, I'm joking. I'm joking. But um, yeah, so here's what we're going to do. I know this is random. I know this is so out of context. I didn't even know what to call this. And the reason I didn't know what to call this is because they don't give their sermons titles. They just give it the date, right? February the 12th, 2023. What, 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 what's the sermon? I know it's in the gospel of John, or at least I think, well, to be fair, <laughs> even though they're saying that they're preaching from the gospel of John, they really haven't, but that's a whole different subject. But so I didn't know what to call this. So I'm just calling this John sermon review. <laughs> I was going to call it John February the 12th, 2023 is what I was going to do. But I decided, you know what? I, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to call it John sermon review. I, 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 in theory, I need to finish this in one episode. This can't turn into two parts or three parts <laughs> in theory. But we all know how my sermon reviews go. So I just, if you're, I don't know what you're doing on this uh, Monday. Okay. I don't know. I know whatever you, you, you're doing, hopefully you can just find a little time and let's just dig in to a random sermon review, supposedly a sermon on the gospel of John. I know what you're saying. How do you not know? Because I don't listen first. I just know that this is the next one in the series. So I'm assuming it's in the gospel of John. That's what they're supposed to be doing. And so I don't listen first, so we're going to listen to this in real time. And uh, I don't know. I just know this. I probably should have eaten lunch prior to this because I'm literally starving to death. But you know what? Here we go. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm I'm way behind on things I need to do. I'm, I'm always way behind. But we'll do this, and who knows? Maybe tonight we'll do something. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe tomorrow we'll do a lot. I don't, I, I don't know how anything's going to go. All right? Okay, here we go. Someone is driving as they're listening, and they're hoping we don't drive into the cow pasture. Well, I think if we drive into the cow pasture, that's actually best, because most of our sermon reviews, we go through the cows, off the cliff, explode at the bottom, then the entire mountain falls on top of us, and then a nuclear weapon explodes, and then we get swallowed into a black hole. And th that's how most of our sermon reviews go. Is that is that graphic enough? Yeah, that we rarely just go a little bit off the road. We go, because these these sermons go, I don't, I don't even know where to, ex what to expect, but here we go. This was preached yesterday in a church somewhere in the United States of America, and a church that's claiming that they're spending almost two years going through the Gospel of John, and I am convinced that is not what they were trying to do. There's this agenda they have, and they're just using the Gospel of John as the disguise to ultimately bring in their agenda. I know that's that's cynical, it's all get out, but that's why. But because this way, if this is actually preaching the Gospel of John, then it's the worst I've ever heard because they, I mean, they have not even covered with the, I mean, I, they're skipping everything. I mean, they're skipping. I don't even, it's just bizarre, but here we go. We'll see. Maybe this one is going to be the best one in the series because this one, someone is preaching, I think, that has not preached so far in the entire series. Now, it's been two men who have preached up to this point, and now we're getting ready to hear 
a woman preach. So clearly it's a church that believes that that's allowed. And so we're just, we're going to see. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to focus on how she handles the text. Here we go. Well, amen. Amen. How great. How great is his love. Amen. What? Oh, my word. Come on. So I'm Sue's Fair, and... Uh... I, do, I, do, I do think that's funny. The worst thing, the worst thing is when you're, you're preaching. Now, she's just kind of doing it like in just in her introduction, but I cannot stand when... Because uh, my way of teaching is very interactive. I can't stand when I ask a question, and it's like, yeah, that was for... Now it's time for you to answer. Like, hello? Okay, <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the fun part. If you, sometimes you'll have people that are like, they're ready to go. And then some mornings you just realize that everybody's looking at you like, don't care to answer, don't want to answer, not going to answer. So you can sit there and stare at me all morning. I'm not playing your reindeer games. And you just kind of like, okay, 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 okay. Then I just kind of look at my iPad. I hope someone will jump and chat and say something. Okay, all right, here we go. What? Oh, my word, come on. So I'm Sue's Fair, and uh, I'm part of the lead team here at Grace, and I bring greetings from New Grace. Kelly and I, Kelly, well, you're not Kelly, you're Levi. <laughs> There's Kelly, Kelly Fair. Yeah, he's my better half, way better half. And uh, we call New Grace home, but we actually call Grace home, so we're really, really glad to be here. Thanks for um, Levi's invitation and Levi's support of the what we affectionately call the little green beauty, so yes, it's green. Um, but I wonder when people say they're my better half, if we really believe they're the better half, because if they're the better half, then why do you fight with your better half? Wouldn't the better half be better? So therefore you would listen to your better half. So do we really believe the better half is the better half when we refer to our spouse as the better half? Do we really believe that they're the better half? I don't know. I mean, now, yeah. See, I can get, I can, I can have a conversation about anything, right? But I won't. I just, I just... I don't know. We just say little, sometimes I just, the little things we say, I wonder if we really believe what we say, right? Oh, there's my better half. Am I supposed to say there's the better half? Are they the better half? Or are they just the other half? Because we typically think we're better. We think we're smarter. We think we're right. We, we, I, I don't know. I don't know. I digress. Um, Levi's invitation and Levi's support of the, what we affectionately call the little green beauty. So yes, it's green. Um, but I, you know, there's only a story to tell because uh, God is in the business of saving us. So any words in that book are just because God decided it was a good idea to save my life. And I bet he, for many of us in the room, he thought that was a good idea. And if All right. So there's a book uh, earlier, because I was trying to find where the audio began, they were like, uh, I won't say a commercial, but basically, hey, there's this great book that the person who's going to be preaching wrote and and they call it the little green beauty and I guess there's a story to tell because God saved her life. Now, I don't know if it means saved her life like through salvation or saved her life physically. I I, I don't know. I don't I don't know the story. I don't know the context here. I don't know any. I'm trying just trying to figure it out as much as you, but we'll we'll see. That's been true for you. You can go ahead and say amen and you could clap a little bit because God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. 
Amen. And those are not words we just say. Like, that is a truth that resides in us. And sometimes we have to tell ourselves that, not when we're just here on a Sunday morning, but we're out in the world. Like, I have to tell myself that all the time. And, um, and he's faithful to remind me of it. Well, um, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Is that a thing? I don't know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? Okay. I don't know. I mean, I think I, I know there's two brothers playing each other. Like, that's what I know. Cause you know, I'm a mom. I'm only going to look for like those stories. Right. And so anyway, I hope it's fun and I'm going to eat some things later. Okay. Now, uh, if you've been around for a minute, you know, we're in a very long look at the book of John and long. I mean, like it could go on for years. I don't know. It's going to be a long time. No, it's not. It's only going to be like a year and a half. It's okay. But just for clarity's sake, what I want to make sure we know together, and you've been, we've talked about this a bit and, you know, we're doing this over all of our campuses, which is really exciting. So if you run into anybody from any of the other sites, we're all talking about the same thing, which is really fun. Uh, I don't think you're talking about the same thing because I don't even know what you've been talking about since the beginning of this series, because it sure isn't the gospel of John, right? Because if you're talking about the gospel of John, you may talk about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. How is Jesus with God and God at the same time? How do we understand that? Is it one God, three distinct persons? Are coexisting? Are they co-equal? Are they co-eternal? Same essence? Similar essence? I mean, I don't know. Some serious theological issues been raised for 2,000 years in church history. Oh, yeah, that was just absolutely skipped. Okay, that was absolutely skipped. Oh, how about this? But as many received him, John chapter one, verse 12, but as many as received him to them, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But why did they receive him? Why did they believe on his name? Verse 13 seems to indicate, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Wait a minute. So people aren't born again by their will, but God's will. How do we understand? Now you get into a whole issue between, you know, um, Arminianism and Calvinism and, and election. And but they, they skipped all of that as well. They skipped all of that as well. And then verse 14, and the word was made flesh. Oh, now we have the incarnation. Now, if he's made flesh, is he 100% God, 100% man? Is he 50% God? Oh, wait, now we go to the Christological heresies of early church history. Oh, I, all of that was just skipped. I mean, literally did not bother, did not touch, did not deal and and it's like I I what in the world it's been bizarre so it, it's so weird how they're like hey hey we're going through this the gospel of John like they really keep emphasizing they're going through the gospel of John but they're not going through the gospel of John by any reasonable definition of actually working through a book it, it I, I I I'm I'm just. I've never seen a church try to so much convince everyone we're going through a book when anyone listening is like, no, you're not. (laughs) Okay. And important, but just for clarity's sake, we're looking at the book of John because John has a particular view of the life of Jesus. And we're trying to see if the way John tells us that Jesus lived is a way that we could start living. All right, now, if you've been listening to our distinction between law and gospel, ladies and gentlemen, we've just stumbled into a problem. So John showed us how Jesus lived so that we could live that way. 
No, the way Jesus lived, he lived that way because we can't live that way. And he lived the way he lived so that his passive and active obedience could be imputed to me by faith. It's just Jesus lived this way so so that we could possibly live that way. We can't live the way he did. We can't even come close. Here's a here's a hint why. He's God. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you everyone. That's it. That's I I, I that's it. That ends my review. Everyone have a great day. I'm finished. Like but <laughs> Hey, we should do what Jesus did. Well, we should, but we we will not. We shall not. We will not. It's not happening. We're going to fall short over and 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 over. Jesus is the example to demonstrate our failure and how far we fall short of said example so that we'll be driven to his finished work on the cross and to his righteousness being imputed to ours. All right. Okay, here we go. Someone said, don't give up. No, I'm done. I'm done. I'm giving up. I'm, I'm calling it a day. I'm retiring from everything. I'm retiring from everything. That's, that's what I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm leaving. I'm just, okay, right. I won't go to all my feelings today. All right, here we go. John tells us that Jesus lived is a way that we could start living. Are there things about the way Jesus lived that we could take on? It seems like that's kind of what we've been called to do. And so John shows us a very particular lens. Now, just so we're clear, this is John, the disciple He writes a lot about John the Baptist, but those are not the same people. So John the disciple is the one that's writing the book. We're going to talk here in a minute about John the baptizer, but those are two different guys. And uh, the, the series has three goals over these next months. And really, they are just kind of the way Jesus lived. This is the way he oriented his life. Like, what we want to do is to deepen our love for Jesus together. We want to be devoted to the family of Jesus, which is, yes, everybody in this room, but it extends beyond this room. And we want to help others discover Jesus. It's such, that is such a weird, like, my three goals for going through John, deepen my love, like, what? what? How about, I don't know, we're going through the Gospel of John to learn what it says? (laughs) Could could we put that on the slide? We're going through the gospel of John so that we can learn and understand what it says because all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But it starts with, we. I mean, the goal first and foremost is to understand it, to know what it says, to under, well, you can't. We're going to the, basically, they're going to the gospel of John, not to understand the gospel of John. They're going to the gospel of John in order to try to deepen our love to, to our connection with each other and, and to do good and, and the things that she just mentioned. And it's like, well, how about we just, don't we want to learn what the book says? But see that right there is the, to me, the dead giveaway. They're not so much interested in helping us learn what John says. John is just being used to accomplish these other goals. And I'll back them up because I keep forgetting exactly what their goals are because, to be honest, I've become irritated with their goals. But let's let's continue. The way Jesus lived is the way he oriented his life. Like what we want to do is to deepen our love for Jesus together. We want to be devoted to the family of Jesus, which. Deepen our love devoted to the family so deepen our love for Jesus together and de- and and uh 
so deep in our deep in our love for Jesus and devoted to one another, I think is the exact way she puts it. Here we go. Deep in our love for Jesus together, we want to be devoted to the family of Jesus, which is, yes, everybody in this room, but it extends beyond this room. And we want to help others discover. Deepen, devoted, help. Deepen, devote. I was, I was helplessly devoted to you. I was, I was going, okay, never mind. All right. Deepen, devoted, and help. Deepen, devoted, and help. That's what they want to do. How about where, how about just, can we just learn what the book is talking about? Can we learn what's going on? Can we learn? Okay. Right. For Jesus. And really the thing is, we'll, we'll do this by really kind of focusing on these seven priorities or kind of habits that Jesus had. And, um, this week, those are the seven and those shapes are rocks. I mean, you knew that, right? Those are rocks. And uh, the, the rock we're going to look at this week is evangelism and making disciples. All right. So they got these like, here's these three things we're trying to accomplish, these seven principles. And they have these rocks that uh, the, uh, and they show these all in slides. And basically, if you don't understand what's happening, this all is basically the template that's being laid over in the Gospel of John. So they're not going through the Gospel of John to learn what it says. They're going through the Gospel of John to find what they have in this template, these slides, that's being imposed into the text. Now, what happens, the average church person sitting in the pew, for some weird reason, they don't catch what's happening. We're not studying John, ladies and gentlemen. They have this whole agenda, these seven principles, these these three goals, all of these rocks, these shapes. And they're going to constantly try to, they're reading it into John. Now, sometimes maybe the, the concept is there, but they're just go, they're just looking for the passage where they can say, see, Lord, there's that principle. There's that principle. And it's like, no, just study the text. Don't come with all of these ideas being laid upon the text. Read. Now they would argue, no, they're coming from the text, but I'm arguing that it's being imposed upon the text. And we understand that to mean showing and telling others how to know, love, and follow Jesus. Last week, Levi powerfully, I wasn't here, but I listened. And I do want to say welcome to everybody online. I think we're so glad. Some of you in the room don't even know we're doing this, but we stream online. So we're so glad you're here. And I also want to say a really quick welcome to those who are listening through the translation into Creole. That happens every week as well, and we celebrate that, and um, what a gift that is for those who translate. At New Grace, we translate in Spanish, and I'm in awe of both. Uh, I mean, I am barely handling my first language, so I'm grateful for those that can do both. But last week, Levi really powerfully shared with us that we all have an identity. Okay, I don't know how. Okay. You can go listen to it. Well, you, you can email me and I'll, I'll, I can point you to it. I'm not going to say the name of the, of the place, but I, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard time classifying what he did last week as powerful. Uh, I, but okay. All right. I'm trying to be positive here, but man alive. Okay. And that it is forever and always linked to the identity of Jesus. It's just separate from him. Those are just ideas we have about ourselves. But when we link it, tether it, I would say, to the identity of Christ himself, it will get clear and it will give you a particular kind 
of power. Today, we're also going to... Whoa, 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 whoa. So if I link or tether my identity to Jesus, I get power? So if I tether onto Jesus, I get power. I get power to do what, ladies and gentlemen? What do I get power to do? I need to know. What do I get power to do? Do I get power to be perfect? Well, no. Do I get power to stop sinning? Well, no. Do I get power to never get sick? Well, no. Do I get power to never die physically? Well, no. Do I get power to never suffer? Well, no. Do, what, what, what do I get power over exactly? What, what's this power? What's the power? Oh, Christians love to talk about power we get. And then we demonstrate like thereof. Okay. Look at that. Our own identity. Because I'm convinced that until we understand who we really are, who God says we really are, not who anybody here says you are, not who your family said you were, not what your experiences say you might be, but who God says you are. There, there's a little bit of truth to that. Someone in the chat just said, Jesus did it first. Now it's your turn. It really, it's like Jesus did it so that I can do it. Now I can do it. Now go do it. And it's like, well, how about Jesus did it because I never will do it, never can do it, wasn't designed to ever pull it off because if I was designed to pull it off, then God would have to remove the sinful nature. But this identity, 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 okay. Now, I do believe that in Christ, we do have a new identity, right? Because in Christ, he becomes my identity, at least in my positional standing before God, because God doesn't see me, he, see Christ. he sees Christ. So I understand there's this like a positional identity, right? I do understand, and this is a little bit, a little bit of what, how we understand that concept that if anyone's in Christ is a new creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's clearly not true practically because we still have an old nature and we still sin, so not all things have become new. But I think in the main context there, it's really focusing on how I'm supposed to see a fellow believer. I'm supposed to see a fellow believer as a new creature. Old has passed away. All things have become new because I see them in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, they are forgiven. In Christ Jesus, they are a saint. Now, at the same time, we have to acknowledge the sin. But we do realize what someone is in their position. But we'll see where she's going to go with this. Until we know who God says we are, we won't be able to share with anybody the love of God. We can't bring anybody authentically and powerfully to knowing, loving Jesus until we know who we are. And so we're going to explore that a so I can't bring someone to Jesus until I know who I am. <laughs> okay. First of all, this makes salvation a work of man, right? Hey, I'm the one bringing them to Jesus and I can't do it until I figure out who I am because until I figure out who I am, I can't bring them to Jesus. Thank goodness that people's salvation is not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the sovereign work of God. Because then I would have to go, oh man, I didn't bring those 10 people to Jesus because I didn't know who I was. It, it's just like, yeah, all right. A little bit this morning. Um, our text for today starts in John, for, uh, John 1, verse 35. So go ahead and get your Bible out or your phone or whatever device you read scripture on. And what we know from what we've already read, what Levi taught us last week, uh, and also just what the passage is telling us, that John has been baptizing for several days. And on one of these days, Jesus himself 
shows up on the bank of the river. And John recognizes him. All right. Uh, someone just said in chat, if she was saying we need to understand our depravity, who, who we are compared to God, that would be helpful. But that's not what she means. Yeah, absolutely. That's not what she means. Okay. And, I, and, I, and I'm also, I get, I'm getting irritated each week in these sermons because they keep saying last week we saw this. In the, and I'm like, last week we didn't see anything in the gospel of John because you barely dealt with it. But okay. All right. I just kind of want to stand up and go, stop pretending you're just going from topics that you want to cover and you're pretending that it's come, that you're studying John. It's, it's driving me crazy, but okay. And in verse 29, he says, probably very loudly, because he, after all, was the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness. So I think John kind of was loud. So I think in verse 29, John said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And don't you bet, everybody turned and looked, and there was Jesus. And wouldn't that be an awesome time to have a very serious conversation about how, why anyone goes to hell if, ever, if Jesus took care of the sins of the entire world? Wouldn't that be a good, like, then why does anyone go to hell? Well, because they don't have the payment sin, they didn't receive Jesus. But not receiving Jesus' sin, right? Yeah. Well, didn't Jesus take care of that sin? Well, he did, but you got to receive the payment. Wait, what? But he already paid for it. So, look, I think, and so we can get into particular redemption. Sometimes people call limited atonement. We could get into some serious conversations there. Trust me, they have no interest in even approaching the subject at all. Holy mackerel, Andy. What, what was that? Now, we would have been, now, some people just went, oh, cool. Dude with long hair and a beard. All right. And they probably didn't know who they were seeing yet. We have the perspective of time. We know who John was pointing to. Some there did not yet know. And then our verses pick up. So let's start in 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. And when they went with him to the place where he was staying, they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John, what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Oh man. This text is so jam-packed with good news. I am not quite sure where to start. Okay, this text is jam-packed with good news. Now, I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna have a little hermeneutical lesson with you here, all right? She's already given us a clue 
where, where her hermeneutical principle is derived from. Her, her hermeneutical principle derives from, they have this little slide that gives you the supposed principles found in this book. And one of the principles is evangelism. So today she's like, we're going to take evangelism, right? We're going to take evangelism. I'm holding my Bible. I've got my fist raised way above my Bible. We're going to take evangelism and boom, we're going to shove it right into this because this looks like a good text about evangelism. So here's the question. Is this text prescribing to you some evangelistic method? Is this text prescribing to you how it should be done? Or is this text simply giving you a historical narrative of here's what happened. There's a day that John's standing there. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, his two disciples here, they follow. Jesus is like, and they, and Jesus turns around and is like, what are you looking for? And then, uh, uh, you know, Come, uh, he, uh, they say, oh, where dwellest thou? He says, come and see. Um, then one of the two which heard John sp- uh, speak and followed him was Andrew Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shall be called Cephas, which is being interpreted a stone. All right. So there we go. Is Is it just giving us Here's what happened. These two here, they had a brother. It's like, hey, hey, the Messiah, you know, the Jews have been looking for the Messiah. We think we found him. We think we found the Messiah. Come along. And he comes along and then Jesus sees, uh, uh, he sees, he sees Simon and he says, you're going to be called this, which is going to be interpreted as stone. Like, like, is that, is this giving us like evangelism 101? Here's how evangelism works. Is this prescribing anything or simply describing? Now, the way you answer that question will greatly ha- will greatly determine how you handle the text. Well, typically in preaching, what we got to do is like, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to create a story. We got we to gotta make this like, see, this is how, and we start making it a prescriptive passage. But in some cases, is, is it really prescribing what I'm to do or is it simply describing just what happened? There was two, they went here. What are you looking for? Uh, where do you dwell? Come and see. They show up. Then I'm going to go get my brother. Hey, we found the Messiah. Simon walks in. Hey, I'm going to change your name. The end. Well, that's not actually true. I know exactly where I want to start. I, the very first thing I want you to see is that John's excitement over discovering. Okay, someone says, I think this is Jesus calling, not John leading them to Christ. True, but what they're going uh, to grab onto is he first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. I've only heard that preached nine million times. Brought him to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. Well, yeah, tell me where Jesus is, is dwelling and I'll bring them directly to him. Like, I can, this is about bringing someone to a physical location <laughs> to where Jesus is. Okay, but all right, but, but you get the idea. Jesus from the day before has not diminished. When you encounter the living God, the savior of the world, your excitement will not diminish So from the first day of, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world to the very next day. Look, it's the Lamb. I mean, it's that, right? Like it's this excitement. If our excitement is waning, we need to probably encounter him again. 
Oh, boy. Okay, so if our excitement wa- wavers, we have to encounter him again. How do exactly do we encounter him again? We have to have an, is this an emotional encounter? What's going on? We need to stand close to him. At least that's what works for me. When my excitement begins to wane, I need to worship. I need to fall on my knees and pray. I need to be with other believers who can encourage me to do the same. I don't think John's excitement ever waned, actually. I don't think he ever got over it. Everywhere he... Oh, no, he sounded pretty down when he ended up in prison going, uh, could someone go ask Jesus, are you the one or do we seek another? I don't know. He didn't sound too excited. I don't know how excited he was when he was getting his head removed from his body, but okay, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I I don't think he was that excited when he was in prison. I, I I just have a feeling that he wasn't that excited. So, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to give this, I see, he said, behold, the lamb of God two times. And there's an exclamation point. He stayed excited his entire life. Wow. I'm glad you figured that out because I got a passage where he seems to be doubting and he sends someone to find out, are you really the one? Because I don't know. You haven't come to get me out of prison. Okay. I, I don't know. He went, he was telling people about Jesus, pointing people toward Jesus, laying down his life for the kingdom work he was called to. In fact, John's declaration of Jesus's identity was so powerful that verse 27 says that two of his disciples started following Jesus. And I don't mean just like started following him. They literally started following him, like stalking. I mean, that's not true. They just started walking with him. And Jesus is aware that they're behind him. Like they're walking down a road. I have imagination. They're walking down a road. Jesus is walking. And these two guys have started following him. And he's aware. And instead of just waiting for them to go away or ignoring them, the text tells us he turns around and asks them the most powerful four-word question. I mean, it's even more powerful than, did you take the, no, that's not more in fourth words, four words. What do you want? Four words. So powerful. What do you want? And. Okay. Am I missing something? What do you want? So powerful. Am I, okay. What am I missing here? What do you want? Is that powerful or is that just like, I don't know. Hey, these guys are following me. What do you want? I I find it fascinating how sometimes when it comes to the text of scripture, we feel this great need to like spiritualize it. We got to make it. Could it just be Jesus? Like, so what do you want? Now, I may be asking a reason for a deeper spiritual reason. I'm not going to deny that because, I mean, you know, he's the eternal son of God. He, he, he knows what he's doing. But I just don't know. What do you want? Whoa, that is so powerful. That, that is so powerful. What do you want? <gasps> what, do you, what do you want? Did you hear what Jesus just asked? I, I, I don't know. I'm having. Okay. They get all fumbly. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me. They get all fumbly and answer his question with a question. Uh, where are you staying? Right? Did they get fumbly? Did, did they get, I mean, like, where, where, where does she get this information? 
John never lost his excitement. I got a text that seems to indicate, and they got fumbly. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to say. Now, her translation says, what do you want? The King James says, what seekest, what seek ye? What do you seek? Well, where dwellest thou? They may be seeking where he, he's going, where he's staying because they want to go talk to him or speak with him. Right? I mean, like, it's like, oh, and I look, I've been, I, I want to make, okay, I want to make it very clear before I get, uh, before anyone misinterprets, I've been guilty of this same kind of thing. When you start preaching, you get into the text and you get, because you read the story and then you have to retell. Basically in preaching, what you do is you read it, then you have to retell it. You got to walk people through it, right? Now, at least she's, at least she's engaging the text, which is better than the other, the other people almost ignore the text. She's at least engaging the text, but here's always the danger. You read it, then you work your way back through it. When you work your way back through it, you retell it. And when you retell it, you want to, you want, you know, you want to try to make it engaging. You want to try to make it, you want to try to make it, uh, you know, you, you want to make it exciting. You want you, you, you're trying, you're trying to do something. And when that happens, you almost in, inevitably start adding or start pa- painting it a certain way. You start shading it a certain way. And it's so easy for preachers to do this. It's so easy. Because look, if, I, if, if, if I'm given the task to preach John 1, 35 to 42, what am I, what am I going to do? What, I mean, you know, it, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. Now, I think there's some important things, concepts in here, but I, I don't know. It's important to note here that Jesus already knew before he asked them what they wanted. How do I know that? Well, you know it too. But let me remind you. For many reasons, Jesus knew what they needed before he asked them. One is he was fully God and fully man. And so the God part of him knows everything. It's called omniscience. And so Jesus himself, Matthew tells us in his gospel, Jesus says, look, your father knows what you need before you ask. This is also the Jesus who knew before she ever spoke that the woman at the well did not have a husband, even though he said to her, go get your husband. This is also the Jesus who knew that the the, uh, leaders of the, the Pharisees were plotting against him before a word was ever said out loud. Now, what's so frustrating here is see, this is why you need the same person preaching all of this, right? Because she's at least bringing up the God, he's truly God and truly man, right? She's at least bringing that up, but that should have been well established and well explored in John chapter one, verses one through 14. But the pastor who dealt with that ignored really the hypostatic union, ignored one truly God and truly man, ignored, didn't really engage it in any way. And now she's bringing it up, but she obviously, this is not the main focus of her sermon. So all she can do is just kind of briefly nod to the fact, but not explain it. I guarantee you could probably walk to that church and ask the people walking out, explain to me the hypostatic union, explain. And I I bet you would be all over the place. And this is Jesus, who knew the woman 
who had been bleeding for years and years, grabbed the hem of his robe. This was Jesus who knew the girl was sleeping. She was not just dead. This is Jesus who after he was uh, crucified and then resurrected, he came and stood in the center of his disciples and the doors were locked. How do I know that he knew what they wanted before he asked? Because... He's God. So why did he ask if he already knew? Why? I think sometimes Jesus asks because he wants us to say it out loud. Because I think it's in the saying it out loud. All right, so so we're supposed to take from this the reason Jesus asks is he wants us to say it out loud. So are you saying that Jesus asks us questions every day that he needs me to say out loud? I, I, I don't know. True, true. Someone just said, uh, at least she's acknowledging the God part while on earth opposed to doing everything in his humanity. That That's true. That's true. But I'm just not, I'm not getting the, uh, well, look, what is she going to do with this? Out loud that our true longings get revealed. What do I want? I don't know about you, but sometimes I get really fumbly too, because I don't know what my true longings are. So when I hear God say to me, Suze, what do you, what do you want? Sometimes I answer. <sighs> okay. If you hear God say, what do you want? Your answer should be, help. I need some counseling because I'm hearing God talk to me. That, that, that would be a good place to start. Okay. So, I, I, that's, so, so now she's taking this text where Jesus just asks, it seems a very, um, it seems like this would just, oh man, I'm having a hard time. I, yeah, I, I know, I know. I just offended every charismatic in the world and they just got mad at me. But I, I, I'm so tired of this idea that like God is just speaking. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want, Suze? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What? God speaks to us in scripture alone. That's, that is how it works. If he's not, if he's, if he's talking to us outside of the Bible, I'm telling you, it's just spiritual anarchy and chaos. With a question, like, are you really God? Can you, can you actually change the circumstances of my life? Can you turn it around? Why did my friends leave? Why are there so many suffering people? And can you play, please explain free will? So then I don't say that. I just say like, uh, uh, what's the meaning of an aardvark? <laughs> like, how do you capture everything we want? In one response. Well, I don't know how we capture everything we want in one response. Does Jesus only ask one time? Is it like, oh, he asked me one time. I got, a one, I got one shot. I got one shot at answering this question. I mean, if he's talking to you, can you say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, that's not really what I wanted. I wanted this. Or can you not? Like, you've got to answer it immediately on the spot. Hey, Suze, what do you want? Here, you better tell me right now. You better tell me right now. And what is, is this, is this text telling me that Jesus is going to ask me what I want? 
I think it's almost impossible. But Jesus knows that. And so he answers their awkward response with another powerful response of his own. Come and see. Just come and see. And they do. They follow him. They spend the rest of the day with him. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? So is that how Jesus answers our, our, our questions? Hey, 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 what do you want? Well, I would like this. Well, come and see. Is that, the, is that, how am I supposed to take this? Like he, she, he's, she's take, she's taking this story and just somehow extrapolating from it somehow the way it's supposed to work for you. That you follow Jesus and then one day he'll turn around and go, hey, what do you want? Make sure you ask some good questions. But hey, even if you don't ask the question the right way, Jesus will say, come and see. So I guess, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Okay. It must have been life-changing because as soon as he could, Andrew went and got his brother, Simon. And he said, man, you got to come. This, this guy from Galilee, this like, you know, John was calling him the Lamb of God. Like, I, man, I think he's the Messiah. He is it. He is the one we've been waiting for. And Simon comes. Simon follows his brother. But isn't that the way it, how it, God wants it to be between us? I, I mean, I, th- I think this is kind of how he wants it to be. Like something in our life happens that causes us to, I don't know, question, wonder, need. And for me, it's often connected to my ongoing temptation to trust myself more than I trust God. I don't know what yours is. That's mine. And I need to get to draw close to God. And someone loves me enough to point me back in the direction of God. And when I draw close, God says, Sue's fair. He always uses my whole name. Sue's fair. Okay, that. If God does not use your whole name, Okay, when you start joking about what God is either saying or not saying to you, you're getting really close to taking God's name in vain, and it becomes really close to being blasphemous. Either he's, he, you really think he's saying your full name, you really think this, obviously you really think God just seems to be talking to you literally around the clock. He's asking you what you want. He's now, I don't know, what is he getting ready to say to her now? What do you want? I guess he asks her all the time what you want. So why did she fumble around in the first place? Why did you, why did you fumble around in the first place? Because he kept asking you. So what I want to know, if he keeps asking you what you want, what have you asked for? Because it's, I mean, the, I, I, obviously he's not giving you what you want or you really want some really messed up things because hopefully what you want is to end, I don't know, childhood cancer. Maybe what you want is to end the war in Ukraine. Maybe what you would like is to end starvation, poverty. I don't know. What do you want, Suze? What do you want? What do you want? If you can't verbalize it, I'm, I'll contact you this week and give you a list of things you can tell him that you want. And then when I have to say it out loud, I realize, well, I don't actually want, like, more money. Like, I don't actually want the kids to have that thing. You don't actually want more money? Must be in a good, it must be in a, a, it must be awesome to be in a place 
where you don't want more money, probably because you feel like you've already got all that you need, I, I guess. Or maybe you're just more spiritual because I would take some more money. I would. I would. I don't actually want, right? Like the things we think. I don't actually want a better job. I don't actually want to be retired. I mean, I do actually kind of want that, but that's not actually what I want. My longing, my longing is that God would reveal himself through my life. And that other- your, your deepest longing is that God would reveal himself through your life. Not that God would stop children from being molested or stop children from being abused. I, 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 I am so perplexed by it. what I want. What I want is for God to reveal himself through my life. Is, is that about God or is that about you? I mean, does God need you to reveal himself? Why does it have to be you? Why don't you say, I, I, I want God to reveal himself? Hasn't he revealed himself perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ? Hasn't he revealed himself perfectly right here in scripture? Yeah, I, I, I think she just shamed anybody who wants anything other than this. I think what she's saying is the only thing you should want is for God to manifest himself in, through your life. Others would come to know him just because we were together. That's, that's what I actually want. But until I say it out loud, I think it's all those other things, right? See, I, I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'm going to do this. All right, I'm going to do this. If that's what she wants, okay, awesome. She's more godly than I am. Because if, I, if he asked me what I want, yeah, probably wouldn't be that godly. Money, food, lodging, vacation, retirement, children that obey, or maybe just go to sleep on time. I don't know. P.S. Our children are grown. They do grow up and leave. And they, whether they eat or not is not on me anymore. Thank you, Lord. Okay. It's, it's like Jesus says to us, too. Well, why don't you come and see? If you're not sure what you want, why, why don't you come and see? Spend some time with me. Draw close to me and let me show you what I'm doing in your life. Let me show you what I'm doing in your family, in your school. It's amazing how this story is not about us and she has made it nothing more than about us. It's the, it's the, it's the, I mean, the church has an amazing ability to take a text that's not about us and make it about it. It it is, it is truly an art form. At your job, in your neighborhood, in this town that you love, draw close and let me tell you who you really are. We are not going to know that if we're standing far off. What in the world? The text doesn't say, come and see and I'll show you who you are. Wouldn't it? Doesn't the text seem to say, come and see and he showed them who he is? That's why they said, hey, I think we found the Christ, the Messiah. She just took the text and said that Jesus says, come and see, and I will show you who you are. Wouldn't the thing is, if we come near to Jesus, he would show us who he is? 
Didn't she just completely flip the text? The text as they came to, they came, they, they went to see and what they saw is who Christ was and they went to tell someone else. She's saying, no, 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 no. We come to Jesus to see who we are. To do, it's about self-discovery. It's not about discovering whom God is. It's about discovering who we are. But can we know who we are until we see God as he truly is? The first step to seeing yourself is seeing God. And once you see God as he is, you'll realize what you are, which is a broken, depraved, messed up person who, guess what? Who wants a lot of things more than God revealing himself through me. I want all kinds of things and I won't name them right now because nobody would ever listen to my podcast again. We're only going to know that when we come and see. Andrew knew what had happened to him. And he knew his brother Simon needed to have that same experience. Oh man, you got, you got to come. And so Simon does. I love that he trusts his brother. Okay. Someone just asked what, what wasn't the point of having people follow him is to learn who he is. Exactly. She, she's turning this into no, 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 no. They had an experience. They learned who they were. And then he went to get his brother say, you need to have this experience. She's ignoring the historical context. The Jews were looking for the Messiah. Why were they looking for the Messiah class? Why were they looking for the Messiah? Because they wanted someone to get rid of their enemies and restore Israel to its rightful place and drive out the Romans. So there, there's, this is not a necessarily even a spiritual thing when he says when he went to find his brother and said, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. That's not like she's interpreting it like, oh, he had this experience and it was so amazing that maybe it was like, hey, hey, it's time. The Messiah is showing up. Remember all those promises? He's going to get rid of our enemies. He's going to make their enemies his footstool. He's going to rule on the throne of David and we'll be back rightly in our place. Because that's the disciple. Remember, even after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, when he's getting ready to his sin, are you going to restore the kingdom now? They kept waiting for the kingdom. I mean, I've told my brother to do a lot of things. He does not do them in my way that I would like. Like, my brother's a veterinarian, and we have a dog that has issues. I mean, so many issues. I'm sorry if you're a dog lover. I... I, I have dogs and I'm not. And I keep saying to my brother, can you not fix this? And he's like, look, what are you? No, I mean, I'm a veterinarian. So anyway, that was a sidebar. But my brother doesn't always listen to me. But Andrew's brother listens to him. And Simon comes. Then and- Did he listen to him or did he go, oh, wait, you think the Messiah is here? Let me go check this out. Like you're, you're she's literally so embellishing this story. That the story no longer really reflects what's in the scripture. That look, when preachers retell the story and we, and look, she literally flipped this story to be about come and see who you are when the story is come and see who Jesus is. They realize or they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So go tells his brother. Brother is obviously like, okay, well, let me check this out because we've been waiting for the Messiah. We've been hearing these prophecies forever. We, is this the Messiah? I mean, this is just, there's nothing mystical, supernatural. This is just practical, like, we, oh, hey, hey, where are you staying? We'll come and see. They come and see. They, they listen to him. Okay. Hey, we think this is the Messiah. I'm going to go tell my brother. Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, 
Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Did you notice that Andrew, at least from what we read here, never introduced his brother? And yet Jesus knew him. And he knew who Peter would become. But he doesn't tell him yet. The disciples would spend three years together. And in that time frame, they would do a lot of traveling, a lot of walking, a lot of boat riding, a lot of traveling. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, we see that they have just been near the Sea of Galilee and Jesus has performed the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And they are now on to their next destination, which is about 25 miles to the north. And while they're on the road, Jesus is asking them questions again. So this is uh, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then just make sure he didn't ask them, who do people say that you are? Because you come to me to find out who you are. No, he's asking them, who do people say that I am? Because the whole point is who Jesus was, not who we are. He asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. These questions that... Now, is she going to deal with the controversy about who was the rock? Is the rock Peter that he's going to build his church upon? Or was the rock the confession that Peter made? I mean, come on, that's a serious theological issue, has some serious implications in church history. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not going to cover that because we're too busy making up stories that have and, and having imaginary conversations with Jesus. Jesus is asking are piercing questions. They are identity questions. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And when he asks them here in the text and when he asks them here in our hearts, because he's asking us, who do the people in your life think that I am? Who have you told them I am? Who, who do you think I am? Like these are piercing questions. They're identity questions. And I think what he's really asking is, oh, beloved, can you see who I actually am? Do you see me and what I want to do? in and through you. Peter saw him. And when he answers him quickly, it's clear that Peter has been seen beyond the activity. All these years of watching Jesus heal people or calm a storm or quiet an evil spirit, like Peter looks beyond that. And he says, oh, I, I know who you are. Peter looked beyond it because you're now giving the fact that Peter knew who Christ was. You're giving the credit to Peter when the text says 
Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My heavenly father revealed. It wasn't that Peter saw beyond. It wasn't that Peter did it. You're now giving the credit to Peter when the text actually gives the credit to God the father. I know who you are. You're the savior of the world. And then Jesus says, you're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. No man told you that. No man told you that. You, you did not learn this from others. Now I say to you that you. Okay, good. Now she's given the credit to where it belongs. Okay, good. You're Peter, which means rock. And he goes on to tell him, I'm going to build my church on you. And the powers of hell will not. Oh, she, she just placed Peter as the church was built upon Peter. That's, that's pretty fast. She just placed the fact that the church was built upon Peter. Make a lot of Catholics happy right there. Not be able to stand against it. I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is he's reminding them of him of two things. Look, there's a work I've called you to, and there's, it's going to require supernatural power. You know, you didn't know that. God told you that. Supernatural revelation to do the work I'm calling you to, Peter. And the other thing I think he's reminding him of is the very first time that they met which takes us back to John. Jesus knew when he was calling Simon to follow him, to trust him with his future, that he would have both of these conversations, a beginning conversation and a I'm getting ready to leave conversation. Jesus knew he would have both of those conversations with Simon, Peter, Cephas, Rock, that there must be this moment where Jesus not only declares his identity, but he also reminds Peter of his identity. And that it is only through the remembering of that identity that Peter will be able to access the kind of power that he will need to build the church that Jesus is calling him to build. Supernatural triune God power. Wait a minute. Who's going to be, Peter is going to be building the church? I thought Jesus said he would build his church. Peter's going to be building it? Oh man, this, this, and then, oh man. Both of those conversations with Simon, Peter, Cephas, Rock. That there must be this moment where Jesus not only declares his identity, but he also reminds Peter of his identity. And that it is only through the remembering of that identity that Peter will be able to access the kind of power that he will need to build the church that Jesus is calling him to build. Super. So Jesus gave Peter the power to build the church that was built upon himself. Oh man, alive. Sometimes I, I, I truly, I, I, I honestly believe sometimes it would be best if people just stopped going to church. Okay. All right, let me read this. And I say unto thee, thou, sh thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. I, Jesus builds the church. She just said Peter will build the church, and Peter needed supernatural power, supernatural, I guess, authority to build the church that was supposedly supposed to be built upon him. So Peter is building the church upon himself. Peter built the church and he built it upon him. He didn't build it upon Christ. He built, but I thought that Christ was going to be the one who built the church. The text says. Oh, 
This is a theological mess. Natural triune God power. That's what Peter is going to need. And there it is, the true reason we explore our identity. Because it is our ability to know who God says we are. All right, so somehow this whole thing is no longer about Jesus. It's about us. Is that someone in the chat basically was saying, uh-oh, uh-oh, we're, we're going to get into, uh, they, they see how this, do not tell me she's going to flip this one into our identity. That's what she just did. She just flipped this into our identity, right? P- Peter had the supernatural power of the triune God. Obviously, it wasn't so, so powerful because he denied Jesus three times with this supernatural power. So that's kind of trash, right? I don't know how that works out. Okay, but so so let's make sure we get this. Peter, Peter builds the church. Peter builds the church upon himself. Peter gets the power of the triune God in order to do this. Now, I guess some would say, well, he didn't get the power then. He gets the power later. So maybe he got the power after he denied Jesus three times. To be fair, some people may try to say that. But this, 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 like the implications of this is insane. All right. So what about the other churches, the other disciples built? Did they build them on Peter too? I guess. I mean, Jesus said, I will build my church. And well, I'm sorry, the way she's teaching this, Jesus said, Peter, you will build my church. This church will be built upon you and you will be given the power of the triune God in order to build it. And that somehow this, once we discover our identity, we seem to be able to get the same kind of power as Peter God, that's almost where she's starting to imply here. I'm going to back it up a little bit. God power. That's what Peter is going to need. And there it is, the true reason we explore our identity. Because it is our ability to know who God says we are. What God says we can do that provides us access to the person where our true power resides. Peter would need a kind of fortitude and courage and humility and bravery that would enable him to become the foundation of the church Jesus was building. Wait, now Peter is the foundation of the church. So Peter is, oh man, oh man. Okay, so now, so Peter was building the church. Uh, the church is built upon Peter Peter's the foundation, but now she's saying Jesus is building the church. She is all over the place on this. I don't know what she actually believes. She, I don't know if she understands the utter, thil, the complete theological ramifications of her comments. I mean, the entire issue about the Pope, the papacy, the Peter being the first Pope and the church and all, and all the church built, the, the, that the church built upon Peter, all of this. This, this I mean, basically, yes, we have Pope Peter type triune God power, but you're right. She, she basically says the reason we discover our identity, identity is so that we can get the same power, but she's all over the place. Peter. So now Peter is the foundation in which the church is built that Jesus is supposedly building. But she just said earlier that Peter needed the power in order to build the church. So I don't know anymore what she's doing. I mean, she's all over the place at this point. P- Peter was not going to be able to do that on his own. Friends, we are not going to be able to do on our own what God is calling us to do. We just can't do it by ourselves. 
It takes community, yes. It takes people who love us and believe in us, yes. But I believe it takes understanding our true identity that is set and settled by God himself. So the key is we, once we discover our identity, boom, we get the power of the triune God. Then we can build a church upon ourselves, I guess. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know how this all supposedly works. So at this point, I don't know who's building what. I don't know who's building upon whom. I don't know what because she's, she's all over the place. I mean, I love Kelly Fair and I've committed my life to him. We've been together 38 years. I'm hoping for another 38. And I don't know. I mean, you know, who knows what the Lord has for us, but Kelly doesn't determine my identity. I struggled for years to understand my identity. Years. You know, Levi, thank you for your support of the book. That's just such a huge gift to me. And um, the book is filled with the stories of all the ways that I lost my way. When it came to my identity, I was sick as a child. So I thought that was my identity. I was the cancer girl. Um, I was kind of sort of, I mean, smart. I mean, that sounds really arrogant. I don't mean it that way. But I was kind of, so I thought I was that girl. I, was, I thought I was that person. And then I was infertile. So I thought that was my identity. And then I had children. So I thought that was my identity. I was successful. And I thought that was my identity. And then I failed. And I thought that was my right. Do you- I am baffled. How John chapter 1, verses 35 to 42, becomes about our identity. How in the name of bubblegum, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, I don't understand, ladies and gentlemen. This is about, they found the identity of Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, the Christ. How in the world did this become about our identity? see how this works? That is not our identity. Those are things the world says about us or experiences we've had or roles we've played. But that's not who God says we are. None of that is what God said I was here to do. Peter, when, when Jesus says, you're no longer Simon, Now you're Cephas, now you're Peter, the rock. All of a sudden, he was more than a fisherman. He was more than Andrew's brother. He was more than a hothead, because he was a little bit of a hothead. He was the beloved son of the Most High God, entrusted with the very keys to the kingdom of God. Peter was given the keys? Do you not understand this is like straight up and all, if you study all the issues with Roman Catholicism, she's had the church built upon Peter. She's had Peter building the church. And now she's saying Peter was given the keys. Peter was given the keys. I thought the keys were given to the church. She's like the the keys were given to Peter. So she's literally, I mean, you talk about a, I mean, she should, should just convert to Catholicism for crying out loud. Peter is the one built the church. The church was built upon him. He had the power of the triune God and he had the keys of the kingdom. And the same is true for you and me. Like Peter, from the moment you met, Jesus has known what you would need to do the work he's called you to. Wait, that transition 
I know it's not what she meant, but it came very close, making it sound like we're we have the kingdom, that we have the keys. I'm gonna back it up. Hothead, because he was a little bit of a hothead. He was the beloved son of the most high God, entrusted with the very keys to the kingdom of God. And the same is true for you and me. Like Peter, from the The same is true of you and me. I know that that's just a horrible transition there. I do that all the time. You you finish this thought and you start the next thought, but the thought could be, it looked like, wait a minute, the same is true of you and me. We're given the keys of the kingdom. So now the keys don't belong to the church. They belong to the individual. Oh man. Now, now, now that's, I think that's a very charismatic way of looking at it, but whoa, we've got issues. Moment you met, Jesus has known what you would need to do the work he's called you to. And it's buried in your identity. Do you have clarity on your identity? Do you know who God says you are? If I asked you to write it down, could you? If I asked you to lean over to your neighbor and tell them, would you? Friends, God wants us to know. He wants us to know who he says we are. You know, when I first became a Christian, I under, somebody told me, like, you know, this Colossians 3.3, 3, you've been hidden in Christ. I'm now hidden in Christ. I knew I was hidden. I didn't know what that meant, actually. Like, who exactly was hidden? Like, all those roles, all that work stuff, all that home stuff, all that stuff? Or was there someone pure? And less um, broken by the world. Was she who was hidden? It took a lot of work and a lot of support. But I can tell you today that I know my identity is beloved daughter of the Most High King, saved by grace. That's my identity. I have a name, and I have things that I do, and I have people that I love, but my identity is that I'm the beloved daughter of the Most High King, saved by grace. And that is the only way I can access the kind of power I need to be light and life to the world, to bring good news there's only bad, to do my best to offer people a pathway to healing, not through me, but through Christ. Why do you have to do your best if you've been given the power of the triune God? Because you figured out your identity. Remember, our focus today was evangelism and making disciples. Our focus today is that you've just basically made an argument for the papacy, for the, for the entire structure of the popes and the Roman Catholic Church. That seems to be what your focus was today. And we understand that to mean showing and telling others how to know, love, and follow Jesus. And that is what's happening in our passage. That's exactly what Andrew did for his brother, Simon. What is happening in this passage has nothing to do with what you're talking about. But there's so much more happening as well. And it's our understanding of Jesus's identity as the Lamb of God who came to save the sins of the world and how our identity is tethered to his. In a room this size, I'm aware that not, 
that all of us are on a different place in our journey with faith. Some of us are here today because this is what we do. We gather on Sundays. Some of us are here because we were invited. Or maybe you're not sure why you're here. No matter what got you. I know why I'm here, because someone gave me this crazy suggestion that we should listen to these. I won't name that person, but they're, they're, they're currently in the chat. You here? I'm so glad you are here. And I want to say this for someone. I, I don't know who. It may be you. It may be the person you invite. I don't know who, but for someone, I believe... When I said, since the first time you met Jesus, you met, Jesus has known what you were called to do. I'm aware that you're aware that you haven't yet met Jesus. And so you're not sure. You haven't yet decided to hand over the control of your life, which sounds scary. It's just not, it's just, it's just one big step. It's the best place for the control of your life to so she's going to give us a message that we come to Jesus to get an identity. We don't come to Jesus to be forgiven for our sins. So this is not the gospel. Rest in the hands of God. With, your, with our brother Jesus as your companion. If that's you, I, I, I want to say this. Today could be your day. Oh man, today could be your day. I'm going to pray for us now and the team will come back up and. Well, yeah, you definitely need to pray for everybody who was there because they need to get out of Dodge quickly. Okay. I, I don't usually say that. I don't know what that was. I have no idea where she went to Bible college or seminary. I have no idea what just happened there. I mean, she's, she's just basically throwing out the entire Protestant Reformation, arguing for almost the, the supremacy of, of Peter he has the keys. He has the power of the triune God. He builds the church. The church is built upon him. That if we get our identity, we get the power of the triune God. I guess we get the keys of the kingdom. I have no clue. And that really, John, that passage in John is all about us when, and, and completely made it about us when it's really about Jesus being identified. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I have no comprehension what just happened there. But we're in an hour and 25 minutes so I'm going to stop. I had to finish that. I'm sorry I had to go 25 minutes long, but um, I had to finish it because I did not want this to turn into part two. Definitely did not want a part three, and I never want another part again. Wow. that This was the worst. Of all, all the other ones, there wasn't much to criticize, right? Because there really wasn't any substance. There wasn't much there. You could be like, well... That was, I, other than like, they just ignored the text. She tried to deal with the text and then created a story to replace the text and then went completely theologically, not off the road, not through the fence, not through the cow pasture. I, I think she just, I think, I think she was driving a DeLorean hit 88 miles per hour. And I don't know where she is. She, she went, she didn't go back in time. She didn't go back to the future. She just, she left the universe. I don't know where in the world that, that was theological. I, I, I am baffled and perplexed. I, I, I almost want to see the video to see if she's wearing like what a nun would wear. She has to be from a Catholic church. She has to be from the local Catholic parish. Someone let a Catholic in to preach there. That, that's the only thing I can think. I don't know what in the world 
I don't know what in the world that was. All right. You can contact me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. And you're like, you were very critical. Well, I mean, what what is going on in the church on a Sunday? That, that happened yesterday at a church that has multi-campus, uh, has multiple campuses. They got to stop. They, I mean, they got everything. I mean, they got power and influence. And that's what people go to church for? I, 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 I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to say other than that is, wow. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful day. I need lunch. Okay. Cause I'm starving. God bless.